Ari Rosebaum here with uh, another fun-filled episode of that Foreign K podcast. Next week's topic, we're going to talk about retirement plan disasters and how to learn from them. Some of the uh, experiences um, that I've gone through and, and, and what plan sponsors can certainly learn from them. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things and I've been involved in a lot of things and kind of cursory tale of what to do and uh, actually certainly what not to do. But of course, first things first, uh, that foreigncasesite.com, we got information up for Oakland on April 14th, which, you know, it's a uh, day I record this, we're two months away from it. Uh, still adding uh, some providers and whatnot. Ron Darling's our guest. Mets uh, A's tickets available as well. May the 3rd, we'll be in uh, Motor City, Detroit. Uh, special Wednesday uh, event also against the Mets. We're tr- still trying to book for June. We got this one venue in New York City that uh, apparently uh, is uh, very satisfied with their business, so they're a little slow to booking it. Um, and we'll probably announce one to two events in September. Uh, got a buddy <laughs> uh, working on a one in uh California, and we certainly got one in the Midwest that we're working on, and probably should be announcing some information about those within the next few weeks. Go to that 4ksite.com for further information, and did I mention Ron Darling is our guest? Uh, Ron Darling played for the A's in Oakland. Uh, he will also be in town uh, as the voice of the Mets, so, you know, I killed two birds with one stone with that guest, and... Uh, We'll see how that uh, works out. Um, he's actually, you know, Yale graduate, um, great pitcher, great analyst. Uh, so uh, it's uh, certainly great to, to have him as a guest. Seen him multiple times over the years uh, at card shows and whatnot. So uh, he's uh, he should be he should be a lot of fun. So as you're probably aware, based on a lot of my writings big fan of learning about disasters because uh, I always find it a learning experience. I, you know, when I was a kid, um, I didn't fly that much. Um, I want to say by the time I was like 13, maybe I was on a couple of flights. That was it. You know, in, the, in those days, uh, flying was a big, big experience. Uh, people don't really know how, you know, you used to dress up for it. Now you you dress like a bum like I do, and you know it was a little different when you, you as a kid you're getting a food tray, and of course everything was inedible, so it's like one of those things people always remark. Well, you know, in the old days, uh, you know, you got food and all that stuff, and you know, now you're lucky to get a bag of peanuts. Well, you don't get peanuts now thanks to peanut allergies, but you know the food was food wasn't really good on an eastern flight or. Air Florida, whatever the heck, or National Airlines, or whatever it was. I always confused National Airlines. Yeah, I confused National Airlines with Air Florida because there was a sun on, on the tailwind. But anyway, you know, as a kid, um, you know, U.S. flights, they, a lot more plane crashes, wind shear, uh, microbursts, uh, just a lot more plane crashes. And of course, you know, you're hearing the news about, you know, some Hawaiian flight and how it, you know, came like a, within 850 feet of uh, landing in the ocean. But for the most part, airline travel is a lot safer than it was, you know, 40 years ago. 
Um, even in even in business history, I'm a big fan of learning about you know blunders in history and whatnot. And I probably like it because I, I always find that topic, it's a learning experience. And, you know, obviously with airline disasters, people unfortunately have lost their lives. Uh, we hear the story of Stephen Colbert's father and brother dying in a plane crash. I think it was in Charlotte because the um, uh, pilots were talking to each other over stuff that had nothing to do with the flight. And ever since then, they have that rule in place that um, – People in the cabin can't talk about any personal business that has nothing to do with the flight as a result. But I've been involved in some disasters as well. Um, obviously not the same as a plane crash, but these are still disasters of their own kind. Um, and there's a way to certainly learn from them. Um, and, I, and I think the... Personally, the biggest disaster that I have been involved with was uh, the only time I ever got sued in my life. Uh, that was with the story of Matt Hutchinson. And that's a story where things just don't really add up. And I want to say it was, I started my practice in 2010. Uh, I heard about Matt Hutchinson. Um, you know, he was becoming a bigwig. He was on an episode of the PBS show Frontline talking about playing fees and all that stuff. So he was one of those champions for fee disclosure back in the day when, you know, wasn't exactly the most popular thing. You know, and people don't understand. Yeah, we've had fee disclosure since 2012. But we had people in the industry, industry leaders, who would attack you if you brought up the fact that uh, there should be fee transparency and there's a lot of abuses in the retirement plan business over fees. And Matt Hutchinson, there, there was an episode of, Matt Hutchinson reminds me of the story of, there was an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where I think the Enterprise, it's like some sort of beam of lights or a hit, it was a comet and then all of a sudden the episode kind of changed. There was this new guy on the deck. You didn't know who he was. Um, was his name Kieran or something? It was, it was. He had some sort of Irish name, and he was the new first officer. And you didn't know what was going on. And it turns out it was you know the situation where some guy got beamed on board. It was it was a weird kind of strange episode. But everybody uh, on the Enterprise accepted him that he was always there. And he was just somebody who just came out of nowhere. And that's how I always felt about Matt Hutchison. He came out of nowhere, but people were vouching for him. I knew a lot of people in the retirement plan business who vouched for him, uh, including a, a really good guy. I'm not going to throw out his name because I don't want to disrespect him, but a really good guy with one of those um, companies that was spearheading fee disclosure. He asked him about Matt Hutchinson and said, oh, yeah, Matt, Matt's a great guy. You know, he, he helped us out in the beginning, which I think I'll go back to that story because uh, about it. But so the first time I heard Matt Hutchinson, you know, the Frontline episode, and he was doing these fiduciary symposiums uh, where he was going to city to city, kind of that 4K conference, but a little bit different. Um, he was trying to educate these advisors and whatnot, and I was interested in attending. And I reached out to these two financial advisors that he had worked with, and like, oh yeah, we never had a risk attorney show up. 
it costs you fifteen hundred bucks to attend. I'm like, I don't want to be a three thirty eight advisor. I don't. I just want to, you know, network and maybe talk and all that stuff. So they just wanted to charge me fifteen hundred bucks to attend. I said no, thank you. And that was the last I heard of Matt for two years. Two thousand twelve. Uh, I think I reached out to him. Um, again, my friend in the business, big fee transparency company. He vouched for him. I said, oh yeah, he's a great guy and all that stuff. And I reached out to Matt. And Matt then reached out to me. Um, and he said, oh, you know, I'd like to work with you on some projects. I'm, um, you know, working now on, uh, on healthcare, so I got to, you know, push back on this retirement plan stuff. And I kind of run these three multiple employer plans, and I'd like you to take over one of them. And um, that's what I did. And, of course, I, I replaced them. As a fiduciary of one multiple employer plan, but there were things that were just not adding up, uh, and I think I, you know, I, I was more interested at the time when you're struggling, you're more interested in making a buck than you are in questioning things, sometimes. And and one of the things he had told me, which I, I, I knew was ridiculous at the time, was again this is 2012, and he was saying, you know. Uh, they're talking about me being the next U.S. Department uh, of Labor Secretary uh, in the next administration, whether it's Obama or Romney. And I thought that that, that that wasn't serious. I know a thing or two about politics, and nobody was talking about him as the next uh, Labor Secretary. But he advised me that the uh, fiduciary partners that he had worked with, he had a falling out with them, and uh, don't get involved with discussion with them. And you know these are these were two brothers who had a RA practice and um, you know don't reach out they they got nothing to, nothing nice to say don't bother with them uh, so I said okay 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 L little did I know I was I was getting into a narcissist trap but anyway uh, as part of the arrangement where I was taking over one of the MEPs you know I was. There was a press release, which I did not write, and I was not I did not write the quote, but I was lauding Matt on his work and whatnot. And uh, the problem with the, you know, press release is it's picked up everywhere, you know, 401k help center, whatever it is, and and uh, an arrest attorney from I think one is North Carolina calls me up and says he has a client, a dentist who has an imbalance, he was moving it from uh, one map to the map I was running. One, So one map, one of Matt's maps, Matt, Matt had like three maps. One I replaced him on, he was moving the assets from one map to the one I was running, but the money never hit. So I was trying to investigate this, I just couldn't believe that uh, this was going on, and it just, you know, it never arrived, uh, and I thought that there was some sort of mistake. And, you know, Matt is trying to tell me that uh, one the MEP that he was moving the money from has an illiquid investment, and that just the story was just, like, not adding up. He was, you know, telling me to meet him in Chicago, and I'm like, I'm not meeting you in Chicago for anything. You're not, you didn't, I didn't get paid for anything. I'm not going to pay my way to go fly and meet you in Chicago. But he was saying, oh, everybody stand pat. I'm working with Phyllis Borzai and the DOL, and everybody should, you know, not get uh, – don't, don't listen to this attorney representing this dentist. 
And, um, you know, later, you know, the attorney for this dentist says, you know, either not, not you're either with us or for us, but you know what? There is a Department of Labor investigation, and it's out of the Wash state of Washington office. I, I believe it was the field office over there. And, it, you know, here's his name and number. And, you know, something wasn't right. And when Matt was trying to, you know, basically what I heard through the grapevine was that, uh, you know, there was some sort of ski resort in Idaho that Matt was trying to rescue and becoming a bigwig in Idaho. Um, and it was a $3 million investment and whatnot. And there were some loans that we're getting involved with, uh, with some kind of like payday loans and payday loan specialists, you know, high interest loans and all that stuff. And I eventually reached out to one of the brothers who had a falling out with Matt. And he was, you know, going on and talking about his problems, but at no point did he tell me that Matt stole money. I think he had his ideas, and he just would not come out and spell it to me. And at one point, Matt said to me, well, you know, uh, I'll get you on the phone with this guy that I borrowed the money from. He wouldn't tell me what the guy's name was, what company they represented, and the way he was saying, I'll arrange a phone call, I just felt that I knew that the person that was going to be on the phone was not the person who made the loan, that it was going to be an imposter. And at that point, you know, I contacted the Department of Labor, said I all, all what I knew, which wasn't much. You know, as it turns out, the dentist had filed a complaint with the Department of Labor months before I ever joined uh, the MEP that he, you know, Matt didn't steal from. The TPA on the other MEPs that Matt did steal from got a hunch and had reported Matt to the Department of Labor. So this was already in the, in the works. And, uh, you know, the problem was I had fiduciary liability insurance. Matt apparently didn't. So I, I had fiduciary liability insurance with the folks that I was working on the plan with. There were two other, there was one advisor and there was a, a fiduciary uh, who was, you know, essentially the... Well, you know, the, the main plan sponsor, whatever it was. And again, um, you know, I got sued. I got sued for the, you know, for the fact that just because I had fiduciary liability insurance. And needless to say, the, uh, you know, as long as the insurance company wrote them a check, didn't really mean I was liable for anything, but you know how it is. Um, the dentist was ripped off by Matt. And he needed to find get some get some money somewhere because uh, uh, wasn't going to get it from Matt. And uh, needless to say, uh, you know, months later, uh, again when I got sued along with the other fiduciaries on this plan, Matt says, "Don't bother answering the complaints. I'm taking care of it." And I'm like, "I'm not an idiot. I'm an attorney." He's you know begging me to default where I'll be liable. And that's at that point, you know, we, you know, could contacted the fiduciary liability insurance company and found representation. And again, all that mattered was the insurance company running a check. That's, that's all it was. And of course, I, you know, Matt, at that point when he was telling me to default, was saying he wasn't contacted by the Department of Labor, nothing happened. So he was free and clear. Months later, he was picked up. Uh, indicted for embezzling $3 million, 
using it for personal expenses. Um, you know, there are vehicles he bought, he bought a house. Uh, and, you know, I, I followed the case. I, my name was mentioned one time in the case, I think because of the press release. I was never called to testify. Because, again, all this criminal activity transpired before I ever took over the map. And uh, Matt was sentenced to 17 years in prison. He was convicted. I think he represented himself uh, at one point on the appeal. Uh, I think if you Google it, you know, you'll see that he, you know, decries that he's some sort of political prisoner. Uh, you know, uh, in the end of the, at the end of the day, um, it was an epic disaster. You know, it could have taken my career out. I'm just being fairly honest about it. And uh, not a lot of people want to admit their mistakes. And, you know, the mistake here of this disaster was, you know, if people tell you stories that just don't add up, you just got to think something's not right. And I think that that was my, my mistake. I was looking at dollars, and uh, lo and behold, all I ever got paid out of being a fiduciary of the plan, I stepped aside at, at a certain point and, you know, decided to go into other, because I was lied to about how many how much assets I'd be uh, compensated for, and I, I literally, I think I got made a hundred bucks on that plan for all that tsuris, which is Yiddish for uh, issues and problems. Um, that's that's all I ever got for it. So you know, it, it was a great learning experience. Um, I think I'm my my thinking of detecting, um, you know, you know, narcissists and hucksters like Matt. Um, just showed me the way. And again, you can Google Matt and, uh, you know, uh, I think he has family members vouching for his innocence and got a lot of conspiracy theorists make it out to be he's some sort of political prisoner of the Obama administration and whatnot. He stole $3 million. Uh, that's, uh, and he was convicted for it. And I think he's still serving. He's probably still got uh, another five or six years uh, to serve. Next on the hit list uh, is what I call the TPA that gives bad advice and uh, plan sponsor gets sued as a result. Um, I was, you know, again, this is around the time I started out my practice. I was recommended uh, by a TPA to work with a plan sponsor to go through a Department of Labor audit. And... Uh, you know, the problem with the Department of Labor Audit sometimes is you think it's really one thing and it leads to somewhere else. And uh, with the situation, it was a, a participant, well, employee and a, a husband and wife who claimed that they should have been covered under the, the fine benefit plan and were excluded by name, their actual name, not by position. And as you, as you may know, the IRS... A uh, big deal with them is reasonable classification, and uh, the Department of Labor is the same as well. Um, you know, unreasonable classification of employees can put that exclusion out to pasture. Uh, you know, you can't exclude part-time employees by saying part-time employees. Um, it's not a reasonable classification, and, and participants' names are not a reasonable classification as well. And it's funny, the two biggest de Department of Labor audits that, that, that were very painful, both started from um, a situation uh, where participants were excluded by name. Again, a big no-no. But anyway, um, what I later learned with this Department of Labor audit is they were looking at everything. And uh, the problem was later found out that the 
um, actuary in the plan who may or may not have been thrown out of may may not may or may not have lost his enrolled actuary status. I don't know the story. I think he did because uh, he didn't sign the Schedule Bs. But anyway, uh, what happened was is 25 years of working on the plan, no valuations. So Department of Labor could not identify whose benefit belonged to who, what were the defined benefits and whatnot. Uh, the woman um, who owned the company, the company went under. And uh, a short time before that, her husband and son both died. So this is a woman, a lot of tragedy in her life. Businesses failed. Multiple businesses failed. And that was a, a big part of the problem because, um, you know, she had this uh, clothing company. They were the plant sponsor. And she had another failing uh, apparel company. And the actuary said, listen, um, if you want to prop up that company, why don't you write a check from the plan to that apparel company because, you know, it's your benefit anyway, which has got to be the worst advice ever. Because what did that mean? The Department of Labor thought that uh, the woman does money out of the plan. If there are no records to show that you were entitled to a benefit, uh, you know, government's going to get the idea that you stole the money. So that's what happened. And of course, um, the poor woman, you know, had uh, a, a, a attorney who was a litigator, and uh, I begged to settle it. And the litigator, I think, in my mind, was more interested in billable hours than anything else. Told her to fight it. I was pushed off. They didn't need me anymore. You know, you read a few years later that uh, the woman settled for the amount of money that the Department of Labor thought she stole. So she paid all that. Who knows how much she paid in legal fees to fight it. And the result was the same. In the end, I think the, 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 story, the, the moral of the story is you have a TPA. Check what they're doing. Make sure they're doing their job. Make sure they're giving you annual valuations to prove what the account balances are, the assets are, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because otherwise, uh, you might have a government agency think that, uh, you know, you stole money. Next, foul shot not steal. I, of course, these are stories I've mentioned in the past. Um, I was at that semi-prestigious law firm. In the city office, I got a referral from a friend of mine who knew an attorney whose husband had a family business that owned a bunch of uh, franchise restaurants. Uh, you know, I think it was Burger King, maybe Dunkin' Donuts. Anyway, they had a defined benefit plan. Company went out of business, and of course, you know, company goes out of business. Someone forgets to file the you know form fifty five hundreds. And the Department of Labor, eventually, maybe slow to the take, but eventually they'll, you know, they're, they're like the Mountains. They find their man. And uh, he comes to me and, and says, you know, the Department of Labor is, is, is trying to contact me for a review and an audit. And I said, well, you know, maybe you should answer him. Where's the money? And he says, oh, uh, you know, I use the assets for uh, my own personal use, including renovating my house. And, uh, you know, that's something you don't want to hear as an ERISA attorney. You don't want to hear that because all of a sudden you become a, a criminal law attorney. And luckily in my office, we did have a criminal law attorney. And of course, you know, like, like almost all the great attorneys from that law firm, he's somewhere else. Uh, Greener Pasture is a better law firm. Great, great criminal defense attorney. 
And he was telling this guy, listen, you plead guilty, you still may serve some jail time. But if you fight it or you avoid this problem, uh, you're going to serve more jail time. And of course, you know, spilling the tea, as they say, it turns out that he deposited the assets from the defined benefit plan into his joint checking account. And I don't want to tell you this, but, you know, if your wife's an attorney, and I, I can vouch because I'm an attorney, my wife's an attorney. If your wife's an attorney and you deposited stolen money into a joint checking account, you know, they're going to have a problem with that uh, unless they want to be a co-conspirator. Uh, and needless to say, this woman who was a real estate attorney on her own, uh, she was not happy. And, uh, you know, that certainly put a strain on the marriage. And I think they eventually got a divorce. But anyway, um, the problem sometimes with clients is you give them advice, you give them really sound advice, and they just ignore you because they, you know, they they want to hear they 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 want to hear another they want to hear another take on it that suits their own interests, and that's you know that's probably you know probably dealing with a narcissist or whatnot who just doesn't want to be told no, and uh, he. Uh, he said thank you for the advice, and, and that was the last uh, I heard of him. And of course, months later, Department of Labor arrested him, and he was convicted and sentenced to three years in jail. Now I can't tell you, you know, he would have gotten off if he, you know, took our advice, but I don't think he would have served three years. He might have gotten, you know, based on his record, he might have gotten. Uh, Home detention? Who the hell, heck knows? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. Federal sentencing guidelines is not my cup of tea. But in the end, stealing from retirement plan is, it, it, it really makes no sense because it's all reported to the government. They're all trusts accounts. I mean, they're trust statements. I always say jokingly, you're better off trying to steal from a bank with a penny hose on your head than trying to be a plan fiduciary and steal plan assets because it leaves a trail. You know, robbing a bank with a pantyhose on your head, there is no trail except for the fact that you're all over the video camera, and eventually they will pick you up. I mean, we see that all the time. You know, local banks, guy, guy with big mustaches, um, you know, hits five, six banks. Eventually they catch the guy. But it makes no sense to me that, um, you know, you do that. You steal from a plan. You're going to get caught. Um, you know, forget the fact that it's wrong. Uh, it's just, it's just not smart. Uh, you need, you need money, you know, go seek out, you know, go to a, uh, you know, go to a pawn shop or something, you know, take the family jewels and, and, uh, you know, see how much you can get for it. But don't steal from a retirement plan because you will get caught. And listen, I know if it's federal prison and there's always jokes about club fed and you see people, you know, go to jail and it's, uh, it seems like fun, uh, What's his name? Chris Lee knows best or whatever. You, you hear about, you know, tax fraud and he's in this nice little, you know, prison. He's still in prison. Um, I still don't know who he is. I still don't know why he got a reality show. And yet the show is still on USA, which just shows you the uh, content on USA. Besides Monday Night Raw, I guess they're not. <laughs> they don't have much to show. But yeah, uh, in the end of the day, it's, it's just not fun. Last but not least... Um, I tell this. I've told the story so many times because I can't believe it. I was a 360 administrator on a plan uh, with third-party administrator. The 338 got me involved in the plan, 
and lo and behold, the 338 changed firms. He went from one RIA firm to another. Uh, that's fine by me. I don't care. But, you know, there were some odd things. Uh, the TPA paid me excess of what I typically got for a quarterly fee. It seemed a, a lot of money. So I, I just put it aside, put it into my, um, put it into an escrow account. And I knew the TPA would ask for it back. And, of course, they did. And, and I, I, I returned uh, the excess because, you know, if I'm getting five basis points, um, you know, over a year, that's like, you know, that's uh, point, you know, that's point one, two, five, whatever it amounts to each quarter. If I get paid more than that, I'm not entitled to it. I'm playing fiduciary. It's a pretty good transaction. Can't do it. I contracted for five. I can't get paid 10. It's just a simple rule. So anyway, um, plan sponsor fires a TPA, and as a result, they go to another TPA who has their own 316 services. So my services are no longer needed. Months later, I hear from the advisor, and he tells me that his old firm, instead of getting paid a quarterly fee, was paid their annual fee. So they got paid four times more than they're supposed to. So I said, that's interesting. And they said, well, you know, since you didn't catch the error, uh, we want you to, you know, pay for the error. The TPA never sent me uh, the materials on fees and, and, and stubs and see how much people got paid. Um, you know, that's my fault to not follow up on it. Um, but I said, why should I pay for this? It's a simple thing that can be fixed. The people who are not entitled to the money can simply return their ac you know their excess. And I mean, that's how I saw it, <laughs> you know, because I got overpaid and I didn't you know want to keep it. Uh, so I said, listen, the, the way to fix this is return the money. And that and, and I didn't hear hear from them, and that was it. I thought that was I thought that was it. So I later hear back from the plan sponsor, which was clearly put up by the advisor to the plan to ask me to pay for it. And again, I, I was so offended that the advisor would, you know, again, it was a scheme um, uh, not to have their former firm return the money um, and, and keep it. And because I, I assume he got paid out of that excess. Uh, and I was just offended that I told them no, and they still got the plan sponsor involved. So, listen, you want to come after me? You want to come after me? I'll go after you. And that's that's how I feel about things. And that got me into trouble one time on the job once, but that's a whole other story. But I, I don't I don't deal well with threats, um, especially when I did nothing wrong, in my opinion. Um, so I was very, very clear to the plan sponsor, and I said, you know what? Um, you contracted with this firm for – you contracted with this advisor for so many basis points. If you pay them in excess of that, that is a prohibited transaction. You cannot – you know, if you contractually agree, you can't pay more. It's a prohibited transaction for you. It's a prohibited transaction for the advisor. And I think it was like a Monday or Tuesday I got the email. I said, if you don't you don't fix this problem by Friday, I'm just going to report this matter to the Department of Labor and let them figure it out. 
And needless to say, within a day or two, the advisor and his old firm agreed to um, fund the money. And again, I'm still amazed to this day that ever happened. Uh, there have always been a lot of situations where, you know, Errors happen in plan administration, but I mean, it's a little bit different when someone is literally trying to steal money from a plan. That's the way I see it. So uh, uh, that's a lesson to be learned. Only pay what you need to pay and whatnot. And uh, we um, are out of time this week. This week a little bit longer, but we hope you enjoyed that episode of uh, of that 400K podcast. Tune in next week. And of course, go to that 400 com for further information on all our live events. Thanks. Bye.